Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. For the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What is going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We are presented by Fansided, and this is Kevin Klein here to tell you we have quite the awesome episode today. First, we will be joined by Pedro Mora to discuss his new and upcoming book. Then we're going to talk some Dodgers transactions and free agency moves, as well as keep you guys updated on what's been going down in spring training. And maybe we'll drop a hot take or two. But with that being said, here we go. All right, guys, we're very excited today because we're joined by a national baseball writer for Fox Sports. You might know him because he covered the Dodgers for The Athletic, The Los Angeles Times, The OC Register, and ESPN. But the main reason we have him on today is because he's releasing a new book due out March 29th. Uh, You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and I'm sure other places. He'll let us know in a second. But I'm talking about Pedro Mora, who wrote a new book called How to Beat a Broken Game, The Rise of the Dodgers in a League on the Brink. Man, that's that's quite a mouthful. But anyways, guys, if you're a Dodgers fan or just a baseball fan in general, trust me, this is a must read. I had the honor of reading the entire book. Took me about two days because I couldn't put it down. It was just that good. So, Pedro, thanks for coming on. This is this is just quite the pleasure. So I wanted to start with just, you know, what inspired you to write this book? Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me uh, and and thank you for reading it. Um, It's still, you know, it's because it's not out yet. It's still in the stage where. Um, it's wild. I mean, I, I think it'll always be wild that people are reading it, but it's, it's, you know, you're one of the first people I know that have read, has read it, you know, to completion. So that's great. I mean, it's great to hear. Um, what inspired me to write the book? Uh, you know, I, I grew up reading this, you know, reading books like baseball books is how I wanted to, how I learned the game, how I wanted to, to that, that was the entire goal of getting into this industry. You know, you're talking about a kid who grew up in the suburbs and was watching, learned the game from watching Vin on TV and, and, and reading the times and daily news sports sections with breakfast. And um, it was, how did it come together was really more that, that after the world series um, it became clear to me that, you know, it was a possibility. Um, And, you know, a friend, Eric Nussbaum, who you guys might know has has read uh, the wonderful book, Stealing Home. He connected me with his agent who, who connected me with the publisher and, and pretty soon there, there was a deal to, to write this book. And uh, so 
<laughs> just kind of made that my life for the next five or six months. And, um, and now, you know, several months after finishing it, it's, it's about to be out in the world. Just, it's, 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 it's a fun experience. Yeah. That's awesome. And I know I didn't reference this, but you know, where's the best place for Dodgers fans to go purchase this book? Anywhere, anywhere um, you like to, um, you know, smaller businesses better probably would be, you know, that's personal opinion. Um, it's, I, I believe you can find it anywhere, you know, and if you just go to your local shop um, in Southern California or not, you can, you can order it through them. These days, the local booksellers are pretty good for that. But yeah. Wherever, awesome. wherever you fancy. Yeah. Just the name dropping and all the quotes you were able to put together for this book was just incredible. It was like a flashback, just so many baseball names. And once you get a chance to read it, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's some chapters, you know, Mookie Betts is featured in one, Clayton Kershaw, Andrew Friedman, among others. I'm not going to spoil it because I want people to be surprised. But I did have a question for you, Pedro. And I'll start off with, you know, back in 2019, after the Dodgers had another heartbreaking postseason exit, you know, they dominated during the regular season, but they just seemed to fall short against the Nationals. The offense was inconsistent. And, you know, something to me just felt like they needed a leader in the clubhouse. And so one of the first episodes in this podcast, just out of nowhere with the Rendo and the Cole uh, Strasburg free agencies, I said, you know what, the Dodgers should just trade for Mookie Betts, which I didn't think was a possibility at that time until the rumors started to really turn up. And then I was all in like the Dodgers need to trade for this guy because I felt like he was the missing piece to put them over the top. So you do a great job of just uh, pointing out like the importance that Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts brought to this team. So I just kind of want to get your perspective on, you know, how important he's been to the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's probably plain to, to you three and probably plain to anyone watching this, you know, how important he's been. But like, I guess from my perspective, um, I, I would note that I think the Dodgers would have, would have, you know, been interested in acquiring him, even if he were not an elite leader as well, you know, strictly for his baseball playing abilities like if you eliminated you know if he talked to no one in the room and just went about his business I think they would um they would still be interested in that sort of player it was just a surplus value sort of thing in a, in a bonus um but I I, I th I'm really interested in, in in him in that element of him you know and I think I I tried to get into it in the book and I think there's a lot more to it probably still but you know in terms of how he sets that example for players and how um the way he the way he evaluates his own performance and the heart the the way he is not um, happy with much in his own game kind of leads other people to be to self challenge more. I think when they're around him and when they witness how he behaves, and it also seems like um, he has a good way, unusually in modern baseball, I think of separate almost like exacting a work life balance for himself that like you know I think we can all relate to is, is hard to do, um, and he's pretty intense about work when he's at work and. and pretty um, not intense about work when he's not there. And so I think all those things kind of lead to a, a, a guy who has the makings of a leader and that's what the Dodgers have gotten. That said, I think the majority, the main reason they acquired him is because he's, you know, at his best, he's an eight or 10 win baseball player. And um, Absolutely. he was that in 2020. Yeah. All right. I got one more for you right now and then I'll let the other guys jump in. So this was a cool, you know, just like so much knowledge here. Like, when you think of Andrew Friedman back with the Rays and, you know, more for us, maybe not the younger generations so much because the Rays have really stepped up their game, but the Rays were just a bad team for so many years. And then in 08, you know, out of nowhere, they're in the World Series. And I don't think anyone saw that coming entering the season. But, you know, you point out how Andrew Friedman implemented the shifts, which was just so 
edgy at the time. And you point out how so many people in the industry don't like the shift and it's kind of like boring the game to an extent. And then Andrew Friedman comes to the Dodgers and now the Dodgers lead the league every year and the shifts implemented. And you even point out like Clayton Kershaw at first, he didn't, he wasn't a fan of the shift, but he grew to like it more. Um, so with that being said, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the possibility of the MLB banning the shift and how does a guy like Andrew Friedman potentially adjust to that? Yeah, I think he, he would adjust to it, um, you know, pretty easily in that, like, you know, the, the way he and executives view their jobs are to exploit loopholes within the game. Right. And so if you take those loopholes away, then they'll find new ones. And um, I don't, you know, as, as he says in the book, and I found this pretty humorous when he said it, um, you know, he, he doesn't enjoy doing the shift, like executing the shift either. He finds it, I believe it's a poor quality of life play, he said, which you know, I, I chuckled at when he said that. And it's like, I mean, yeah, so it, like, it, and it is for everyone. And, you know, I blame, you know, I blame writers like myself too, for sort of uh, welcoming in the advent of the shift with like wide eyes and just excitedly when we start, when it started to see it in 2014, 2015, when really every team was employing it. And when the fan graph shift data started becoming available and just like not understanding that, uh, that the excessive employment of it would, would create fewer balls in play and would create a worse product. Uh, and I get why we didn't see that at the time. And I, you know, some people I respect in the game still disagree with me on that and just, and disagree with the take that, that banning the shift would serve any real purpose. Um, but I think, I think for the Dodgers, it would, it would represent, you know, a loss of some competitive advantage, right? Uh, you know, probably not a massive one, but they think, they obviously think that shifting, even now that everyone knows the benefits of it in the current constraints, they obviously think, think it still provides them a competitive advantage as evidenced by the fact they do it more than anyone else. So I, I suppose they would have to adjust, right? And, um, and it looks like they will in 2023. Uh, Pedro, I, um, so... Speaking of Andrew Friedman, we, we've talked a lot about on this podcast about how he, um, when he makes trades with other teams, you know, the not, the not marquee guys like the Chris Taylors and the Max Muncy's of the world, he'll um, kind of find these guys off the scrap heap, so to speak. And we often joke about how, you know, teams must be, you know, afraid to deal with Andrew Friedman or may even question their own personnel within their organization as to what does Andrew Friedman see in this guy that we haven't seen for the past five years or whatever. Um, you touched on that in your book. I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on um, maybe the reluctancy of some teams to do deals with Andrew Friedman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a significant thing, right? It's it, you can you can understand it from any perspective of like I've heard of this in fantasy football leagues that if there's a guy in the league that is uh, that is constantly getting the um you know the, the star before the breakout, right? That you know if you're in a keep you know if you're in a league for four or five years with this dude, and you know he can you know every year he manages to usurp the per, the, the you know the running back just as like about to break out, you know people are going to stop start rejecting his trades before they even. <laughs> You know, analyze them. And I think you, you wonder about that. But these are, you know, he's making trades with other really well-paid, you know, uh, well-respected and, and, you know, executives who hold themselves also in high self-regard. And so I, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, I look at like the trade he made with the Cincinnati Reds, where it, it's not like he was stealing some sort of known, uh, some sort of un, unknown or failed player, like in the case of maybe Chris Taylor. Um, from the Mariners, uh, but in, but but able to essentially turn dollars into two top prospects for really no 
no reason um, at all from the Reds' perspective. I'll never understand why why a team would do that in their position. You know, Cincinnati's also in the midst of uh, another befuddling offseason right now. So I, I think there's always going to be – I shouldn't say always, but there, there – I would guess that there's always going to be a few teams, a few fish more or less, who – you know, the, the behemoths can, can, can find and, and, um, and take over, you know, I, I feel like if there's one of the biggest missing pieces in the book, and I guess this isn't a great advertisement for it, but I think this is sort of almost unanswerable is like how, um, you convince someone to do something that is so obviously in, uh, not in their best interest, uh, and you know how you can repeatedly do that. That's a wild thing, but for obvious reasons, that people doing that have no interest in discussing that. You know, revealing how it happens, <laughs> um, because that's almost like the secret sauce to their mix. So, you know, I I try to point out the the levels of of uh, insanity within a trade like that. I'm talking about where they get Jeter Downs and, and Josiah Gray, who essentially get them half of Trey Turner and Mookie Betts each, essentially for not for 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 a, a like a nothing trade any other way like they didn't lose or gain anything really other than those two prospects and um i uh it, it it's wild to me that even people who are at the top of their profession are you know are convincing themselves that the trade making a trade like that with a Dodgers is, is the answer so to answer your question jake i guess like why, why do teams do it i don't know i mean they don't do it that much i think we should say like you know it's not this isn't something that happens every year you know the Dodgers have lost some trades um you know, they've given up a lot of talent in prospect trades. You know, they gave up uh, O'Neill Cruz to the Pittsburgh Pirates for Tony Watson. They gave up Jordan Alvarez to the to the Houston Astros for, for Josh Fields. Um, they gave up, this was not a necessarily a bad trade for them, but they gave up Grant Holmes and Frankie Montes to to Oakland for um, for Rich Hill and Josh Reddick. So they've, they've lost some. But I think the, the degree to which, you know, the, the most lopsided trades that have been made have generally favored the Dodgers. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a big win for Andrew Friedman seven, eight years into his job. Yeah. And I think that all Dodgers fans can, can respect that from him. Um, and then kind of on the similar, in the similar vein, I mean, you, you look at the the roster as the way it was constructed last year and um, you look how it finished, how they finished in the NLCS and, you know, huge disappointment going, you know, from the sort of the, you know, taking down the division rival and the giants and then going on to the Atlanta Braves and, and not really performing how we expected them to perform. Now, granted there were a ton of injuries and all that, but um, you talked about the 2021 season in your book. I know um, I just kind of curious what your thoughts were on how it ended last year um, in terms of, you know, where the team's mindset was at. Obviously you have so many injuries Max Muncy, Clayton Kershaw, to name a few. Um, the offense just was not there. Um, and the only thing that really was there was the bullpen. And the starters were gassed. So what was what was your take as you watched the, the Atlanta Braves advance to the World Series? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, my take was that they, the, the Dodgers season, like I guess my first take is that the Dodgers had a wonderful season in 2021. They won a bunch of games in the regular season. And that's, for me, the primary measure that I used to judge how it, like how a team performed that year. Um, as you said, they were hurt in the, in the postseason, you know, a fair amount. Um, so were other teams too, um, though notably not Atlanta, except for Ronald Acuna Jr. So um, it's like, I mean, the Giants were missing. I, I say this because the Giants were missing belts in that first round too. I think the Dodgers were essentially, 
I, and I try to make this case in the book, I think they, they played the postseason a little too desperately um, between, and, and maybe you could argue maybe they needed to in order to advance. At least they thought they needed to with their, with their tricks that they played on, on the Giants, specifically in game five, um, to, to, to use a, a, what do you call it? An opener. Um, and then, and then um, Urias, and then pull him short and then calling Scherzer, which diminished Scherzer and diminished Urias later on. And it was like this big cascading effect. And you would think, I mean, Julio Urias had a wonderful season in, in 2021. Um, and he was well-equipped to start the game as normal. And there was, you know, the way he, had, he, the way he did pitch when he was called upon, there's no reason to think he wouldn't have been able to pitch, you know, to throw a, a standard six-inning outing, which the Dodgers would have been able to handle with their bullpen and would have led to, you know, Scherzer being theoretically ready to go fresh in game one of the NLCS. That was a desperate choice, um, I think. And um, it, it worked out for them in the short term, not in the long term. Um, I think, you know, I, I would point to, and I do make the case in the book that I would point to that, that they were desperate even to, even before the season began to repeat in, in signing Trevor Bauer, who, um, you know, who came with a lot of baggage at the time that they made the transaction, obviously not the sort of baggage that emerged, um, but, but they knew that they were signing a player who had a history of antagonizing people and, and could cause problems. And so they, they determined that, you know, <laughs> that that player and the way he had pitched in 2020 was worth that risk. Um, you know, I think they're not commenting on this at this time, but I think, you know, most people would tell you it hasn't been worth the risk thus far. And uh, I think that, you know, that hindered them. They obviously recovered in a pretty amazing way by, by acquiring Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, two of the sports 20 or 30 best players in one transaction at the deadline. But it, it's still, you know, they were still sort of behind, I think, um, in, in, some ca- in some way. And, and they didn't have the pitching depth down the stretch in September um, and in, into October that they, that they were accustomed to. And I think the other element of last season, you know, despite their 106 win, win campaign, like the other thing is that a lot of their prospects did not actually perform throughout the season um, when called upon. And I think that that, that is something that I'm really interested in monitoring, like, because that was the first time in many years that, that, that the Dodgers essentially didn't call up a dude and have him immediately hit, you know, a home run more, more or less. And so that really hampered their depth, right? And they were relying on the likes of like Steven Souza in the um, in the NLDS. And um, that's just not how the Dodgers have been built, right? They've been built on relying on Kike Hernandez off the bench in, in the playoffs. And that's, there was a massive drop off between those two. And I, you know, I think I expect the Dodgers to get back to where they were in terms of depth in 2022, but um, it's certainly something to monitor. Yeah. Definitely. And as we uh, look towards this year, let's uh, kick it over to David. What do you got? Yeah. uh, Thanks for coming on, Pedro. I'm really looking forward to reading your book. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about the current Dodgers team because I would like to read the book in full and not have it be spoiled. Uh, For the opening day roster, I figure there's about 20-ish or so locks, but I'm I'm curious what you think about the back end of the bullpen. Uh, Guys like Tyler Anderson, Victor Gonzalez, Clevenger, Mitch White, Andre Jackson, Brule, and Phillips. Who, Who of those guys you think are going to emerge uh, or just even make the opening day roster out of that, out of that crew? Well, you know, as you guys know, I think that it's, it's going to be a, um, a moving fluid uh, bullpen and, and back end of the rotation this season. Uh, the, the rules are emerging that there's going to be a 28 man roster to start the yeah. season. Um, and, uh, and that the, the five option rule uh, will not begin until after the first month of the season. And I think, you know, I fully expect 
I would bet on the Dodgers to take a lot of advantage of that uh, early on in the season. Um, and so I would get, I would say more than anything that all those guys you mentioned, or, you know, the vast majority of them will, will play a role. I think Tyler Anderson, I would expect more to start um, than to relieve. Yeah. I would guess, but I, I think the way the Dodgers have built their, you know, have built their pitching staff, you know, and this, the, the option rule will hamper them a little bit. Um, but I think that my expectation is always for them to, to interchange players as much as possible. And, um, you know, the, I, I will note that the option rule um, does not cover injured listings, <laughs> right? You can, you can still uh, create an injury for a pitcher or, you know, yeah. or acknowledge a minor injury and treat it as an injured listing. So they'll, you know, there, there's, there's nothing stopping them from continuing to deploy all those guys. I've heard Caleb Ferguson looks really good um, from his, you know, in his return from his second Tommy John surgery. Um, I would expect him to, to impact the club. I think, I mean, you guys, I'm sure you guys remember how, how good he looked in, um, in August and September yeah. of 2020. Were those the right months? I forget now. Yeah. What, until he got hurt. July and August. Yeah. yeah you deemed born. him the best reliever in your, in the book. At that time, I think he yeah. was. I mean, yeah, I think they I were. Um, and this this was this was before Kenley Jansen's reemergence, right? Um, this was. I mean, you remember the first couple of games of the of the twenty twenty postseason when the Dodgers did not want to use Jansen at all. Um, so it's uh, that, that that was when Ferguson's loss really loomed large, but they were able to convert Urias to the bullpen and sort of uh, get through it that way. Um, but to to answer your question, um, I, yeah, I think I, I think all of them. I think. Um, I think Mitch White is is a um, is is going to be the long reliever of choice, or one of them at least, and he, he fulfilled that pretty well last year without much fanfare. It seemed like to me, Andre. Jackson I was I was the fanfare. I was like the captain <laughs> okay. of the Mitch White bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, you know, people don't necessarily appreciate like competent pitching, right? Like <laughs> vaguely comp, like mostly competent pitching, which is you know worth a lot of money in Major League Baseball, right? Pitcher people pay a lot of money to to dudes who can who can. Um, you know, guarantee, you know, for something ERA in a season. So like, I think if you have that and you have that optionable at any time, that's really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My next question is, might be considered a tough one. So who do you think is going to bounce back more Mookie Betts or Cody Bellinger? And I say Mookie Betts. Yes. I know he had a fan graphs war of like 3.9 last year, but you go back to his pre COVID seasons. He didn't have one below five. So I'm going to consider somewhat of a bounce back being over five war for Mookie Betts because that's just who he is. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, so we got to set some parameters here because like, I mean, if you're talking about like OPS improvement points this year. Like, I think you have to take Bellinger, right? Like, I mean, what, what was his OPS last year? I mean, if he's, he's league average, it's going to be a, a massive improvement, right? Like I think a, a jump back to league average for Bellinger would be, you know, would be essentially Betts morphing back into, you know, the best player in the game. So I, I would guess, I would guess Bellinger. I, I would probably expect them both to be better. You know, from talking to people this spring, I don't know anyone. I don't. I don't really think that anyone has a great handle on what to expect from Cody Bellinger this year. Um, it, it's just because, for obvious reasons, right? This this is a guy who's been both really good and really bad, and actually in between too. Um, and when he's in between, he's still he's still a greatly valuable player because of his his defense, right, and and the flexibility he offers. But I I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him to really get a grasp of what the swing is, is going to look like. Um, but that said, like, I'm still taking, you know, if you ask me like over under 700 OPS, like I'm definitely taking the over on that, you know, he's a year, another year removed from the surgery. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I, I think I feel pretty confident he's going to be at least competent, you know, how, you know, where that is in between 700 and a thousand OPS. I have really no earthly idea. honestly. Yeah. 
All right, my final question is pretty vague, but give me one bold prediction about this Dodgers team. Um, okay. Let me, can I, let me scan. Um, one bold prediction for this Dodgers team. Um, Could be a rookie, some impact rookie, surprise performer, anything. Um, well, I think they're, um, well, okay. Who's, who's the expected, let me put it this way. Who's the expected best player on the Dodgers? Like who, like this season in 2022, most valuable player on the Dodgers. Who would the three of you take? Trey Turner, rookie bets. Bets, yeah. Pick one, pick one. I'm going with bets. I'll take Turner. Trey Turner, yeah. Um, Okay. I was hoping you'd all take Turner because uh, I think <laughs> I think Betts will be that. I don't know if that, that's a, a, a qualifies. Let me see. Um, uh, I'm. Um, I think. Uh, okay. How about this? I think that by the end of this year, this is uh, none of my takes are hot enough. I'm not a I'm <laughs> like everything. I'm like eh, this is only mild. This is like just like ninety degrees. That's fine. Um, we can I take a mild. mild will take. be you know. We'll we'll. I mean, having been named the opening day starter, having had a, um, you know, a, a lengthy season where he dialed back a little bit, but was very good nonetheless. I, I expect him to be sort of um, a top three or four starter in the game by the end of the season. I think he's probably like ranked fifth or sixth right now. So that, I don't think that's really all that much. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, for, maybe Ferg, um, it would be, I, 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 that's a good question. Let me, let me, um, well, while you while you think about that, let me let me ask you a slightly similar question. Like, what what storylines are you most interested in this spring um, as as you're following the Dodgers? Um, well, I mean, obviously the Freddie Freeman arrival was 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 interesting. I think it's um, it's a funny it's a funny way to replace a three hundred twenty five million dollar player uh, to to acquire a player who plays a less valuable defensive position but is as good or better of a hitter and and several years older but making half as much money. It's just like that's obviously never happened before, right? In the <laughs> like the, it's just a weird thing that the Dodgers can replace, um, you know, a uh, who a player who at his best is like one of the best hitters I've ever seen, you know, granted he hasn't been at, always at his best. And I, I, that, that'd be one worry if you're signing a 10 year contract with Corey Seager is how many years are you going to get at him near his best? But it, it's obviously a big loss, but then they replaced him with the guy who's been, you know, even more, cons- more consistent. Um, it, and it's a, it's a, it's a really tantalizing replacement. I think that uh, I would, I would say that I'm following that because it really like, I, I view I view it as sort of buttressing the argument I tried to make in the book, which is that one of their significant strengths, maybe the thing they've done the best, um, is is create a roster that's so flexible that they can they're always able to react um, even to the unexpected or to the expected that they weren't sure was going to come to fruition. And so, you know, most teams would not be able to to do what they did, which is sign a first baseman to replace a shortstop, right? Um, that, that's the reason it's never happened is because you could never really do that before. But because they have Trey Turner, who, who wanted to get back to shortstop, because they have Max Muncy, who's almost as good of a second baseman as he is a first baseman, because they have other options at second base, literally two other quite good options that a lot of other teams would be excited for, um, they, can, they can do this. And I think that's um, – I, I don't want us to lose sight of how, how wild that is in the history of baseball, that, like, that a team could lose a shortstop and replace him with a first baseman and, and arguably not get worse defensively as, a, as an overall – um, picture, right? Like just, they got better defensively. Y- yeah, you you 
I don't I, have a great. I think read. so. Yeah, I don't have a great read on what Turner is as a shortstop, um, but he's not. I don't know him to be significantly worse than Corey Seager, and um, Freddie Freeman's a great defender at first, and um, if they have Taylor at second, that's solid. If they have Lux at second, that could be solid. Although he's more of, a, of an uncertainty. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a it's not worse, which I think is crazy because they were, they lost the shortstop and replaced him with the first base. That's right. All right, Pedro. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, circling back to the book, how to beat a broken game. You know, I wanted to get your overall takeaway on the 2020 World Series team, and this is kind of two questions in one, but. First of all, why did it take a series deficit to the Atlanta Braves to really wake this team up? You go into depth about that night when they're exchanging messages and then just give us one memorable experience you had covering the team that year. Um, let's see. Uh, why did it take them uh, until they were behind 3-1 to play their best? I, I would guess because of the way, you know, we, we humans are is that, in that like you, you're not, um, you know, I say this as a journalist who runs on deadlines, right? And um, even having gone away from newspapers where deadlines literally run your life, I still find myself most motivated by, you know, the existence of a, of a deadline, whether it be self-imposed, editor-imposed, anything. You simply don't do your best work, I don't think, or, or mo most focused, um, or at least the people I know and myself included, don't, um, don't do that without the, the actual, uh, like, what's the word, without needing to, without absolutely having to. And so that's sort of how they were, is like the Dodgers for years now have been so talented that they didn't need to maybe be 100% at their best to advance. They certainly didn't in the first round of that postseason, if you remember who they were facing and the, the lineup they were throwing out. I mean, I think like the, I'm not sure that the cleanup hitter from the 2020 Brewers is still in the major leagues uh, at this point. <laughs> And, and it's not because of age, right? It, it's uh, they, were, they, were, they didn't have to be uh, at their best to advance past the first couple rounds, right? Even the Padres, who had a great year that year, didn't have much pitching by that time. So I, I would say just because they, they didn't need to. And so you, you really only learn what you're capable of once you, once you have to. Um, and your other question was what, remind me, Ken? Just like share one memorable experience, whether it's public knowledge or something maybe no one knows that really stood out to you during that 2020 season. Yeah, well, I mean, the the per personally, what's always going to stand out to me the most is, you know, just covering it from home, <laughs> a lot of it, uh, you know, and sitting on my couch and uh, like um, teaching my partner like a lot more about baseball than she ever knew before that, you know, it just in the, because it was on television all the time and it was my job too, and um, it was it was a, I mean, it's you know, it'll never stop being strange that memory, right? Um, so I guess that, that, that reigns supreme in my, in my brain. Um, the 2020 spring training was, you know, was always is like a big professional memory just because the first couple of weeks, everyone was so fired up about the Astros revelations. And the first week it was like every day, a do another Dodger was popping off about, about what had happened. And like, you know, Carlos Correa told Cody Bellinger to go fuck himself in the, in the, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it was like a, it was like covering wrestling or something like that, you know? And, um, and then it all shut down. It was just, just so strange, you know? And it, like, I, it'll always be such a strange season. And I didn't necessarily want to, um, you know, spend the entire book uh, on like how, wow, COVID was a strange year for us all in 2020, you know, because that's, that's, we all have experienced that in our own ways, right? Everyone here, I'm sure had their own like, things that make them chuckle that like if I tr if you tried to explain to us it'd be like okay sure yeah it's but it's weird um so it, it's just that I guess that that's 
when I think of the 2020 season, I'm, I'm going to think of the fact that uh, it started off so hot and then it cooled down to a like an absolute no, not even a trickle for three months. And then, and then the season started and the Dodgers were so clearly the class of their, you know, of the league and had so much talent on that roster. And then they, um, you know, and then they were marooned out there for a month and, 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 and made it happen. I mean, the other one, I mean, how about that? The, how about the play in, um, how about the, uh, the comedy of errors play in the world series with the, with the first day. I mean, that, that's a, that's a memory for sure. I mean, uh, game four. Yeah, I mean Chris Taylor to uh, to Muncie to Smith and then Jansen not covering. I mean I, that's like, whoa! I mean that that was a that was a that was you a- know you know that if the Dodgers had lost the World Series, that clip would have been just on loop everywhere, forever. just forever. just forever. Oh, yeah, it's it's funny to think about that stuff. I'm I'm working on a story right now about uh, Willie Adames, who was the um, the last out, um, and he took the final two strikes looking from Julio Urias and. He, Willie was in such a bad place. I think he's a really good player. He was in such a bad place at that time that he wasn't even going to swing no matter what happened in the final two pitches that I've had. He was, he was trying to sort through stuff in his head during that bat and not capable of swinging. And he's always going to regret that. But he, Whoa. the thing is, is he has to see the at bat all the time. <laughs> like the, the Brewers played yeah. the game back ranch last week and the clip is playing. He has to see it all the time, almost every day. Um, and it's motivated him to be a whole new player. Uh, and he was he was great last year, MVP candidate. Um, and I just think the the concentration of moments in those moments in in those um, in the playoffs and how they like can and can guide like you know an entire narrative of a team or players' careers. You know, will never stop being wild. Were you able to come up with a bold prediction? If not, shoot us a message. We'll read it next week. I think I'm the, I'm the guy who just doesn't have any bold predictions. Um, so I guess my bold prediction is that is that there are none. You know, I, I think um, I, I I would I think the Giants are probably are going to be a better again than people expect them to be, um, and I, I expect that the the division race will be will be closer again than people expect it to be. So maybe that. Um, That's definitely bold in my book. Yeah. Speaking of putting things on replay, we'll have that on replay for David if the Giants actually do do as well as you say they will, because he doesn't think so. I've, not- I've died on the hill for the past year and a half that they just are not good. And I will continue to die on that hill Well, because I mean, it's in my blood. Well, it, it, uh, you were wrong last year, right? You can I was. <laughs> Because at this point, I mean, I, I said that, you know, like on April 1st and May 1st and June 1st and July 1st, yep. but I was definitely wrong about it the entire time. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not by no means am I projecting 107 wins for them, not even 97, but I think they're going to be a player. Uh, I would, I would guess playoffs versus uh, if you had, if you forced me to pick, I would say playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's going to be interesting again, which is, you know, probably good for us all in terms of entertainment value. Um, I think the Giants have hit on a lot of what the Dodgers succeeded with, right? This is not, you know, this is not groundbreaking stuff to say, but like, you know, given that their lead executive was the Dodgers number two, a lot of what they've managed to do really well, you know, they had better depth than the Dodgers last year in the playoffs. That's why the Dodgers had to, you know, had to go to the methods that they did um, during the DS. And I think that's, that really undermined the Dodgers' abilities because in the past they didn't have to do that because they knew that they had, they had the depth and the stars and they still have the stars on the Giants. The Giants do not have the star power the Dodgers do, but, uh, until the Dodgers prove that they're back to, you know, the, the level of 26 through 40 roster depth that they had, you know, in, in 18, 19, 20. Um, I think you have to, you have to respect what the Giants assembled last year, especially. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Pedro, for joining us today. Once again, I remind you guys, make sure to purchase How to Beat a Broken Game coming out this Tuesday, March 29th. And I swear to God, you're going to learn so much about the Dodgers and the <laughs> art, the research and development, the front office, and all the training staff that just went into how this Dodgers team became almost a near dynasty. So, Pedro, I hope you have a great 2022 ahead covering baseball. Hey, yeah, Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much, Jake. Uh, David, thank you guys, too. This was, um, this was fun. Appreciate it. I'm happy to, to come on anytime. Um, but, uh, but thank you for supporting the book. And uh, I hope um, I hope people read it and like it and let me know about it and email me and, and or complain about it if they don't like certain parts of it. That's fine, too. I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Um, yeah. But th thanks. Thanks for providing me a platform and having us talk about it. It's been fun. Anytime. All right, thank, Pedro. You, thank you, Pedro. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was a chill time with Pedro. Once again, thank you for joining us. So now the next 20, 30 minutes or so, we got to talk some Dodgers because there's been a lot of transactions, believe it or not, in the last week since we last were on the air. And we'll start off with some of the latest news involving maybe a fan favorite, maybe not, depending on who you are. But Matt Beatty was designated for an assignment. And, you know, to be quite honest, I kind of saw this coming. I, I thought, you know, it was time when the DH became universal, the Dodgers didn't really need Matt Beatty anymore because he's, he's a great pinch hitter, but he's very limited defensively. He can't hit lefties that well. He's a career war of negative 0.1, 262 batting average, 333 slash line, 425 slugging with 18 home runs over three seasons. But for some reason to me, it feels like he's been a Dodger longer than three seasons, but Wanted to get your guys' perspective because the one positive that I will say about Matt Beatty, because I'm not a total hater, dude was just clutch in the regular season. 359 career average with runners in scoring position. Yeah, you know, I, I always appreciated Matt Beatty for who he was, what he was capable of doing. I never really expected him to do much more than he did. And quite honestly, there were a lot of times where he came through that I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, he had some pretty great moments uh, as, a, as a Dodger, um, most notably, you know, last season with the, um, that huge game he had in Milwaukee, uh, where he, you know, just absolutely went off. And then got um, benched the next day. Then got benched the next day, which uh, still can't Two get games. over myself. Two games. That, that never made sense to me. But and then the other, you know, the other moment where he had the um, the back to back to back uh, home runs oh, in yeah. 2019 with uh, I think it was Will, Will Smith and Alex Verdugo was the, the yes. other two guys. I was at the Beatty one. Yeah. So and yeah, and then and you know the 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 three consecutive walk offs. Um, so there were some great Dodger moments for him, but I think. Uh, the, the writing was on the wall, um, you know, when they signed uh, Hanser Alberto, obviously, because when they officially did, they DFA'd Matt Beatty. But like the news of Hanser Alberto coming on, uh, wanting Friedman wanting to not have that situation happen again uh, in the postseason where he had a very limited bench and they couldn't really come through when the Dodgers needed them to. Um, but yeah, the, the one thing I am interested to know is is kind of like, what the hell went on between Matt Beatty and the Dodgers organization? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been released yet. I don't know what it is, but maybe now that he's not a Dodger anymore, we'll hear some of the, some of the drama that went on, but that's yeah. really the only thing I, I can say. You're obviously about. alluding to when he inserted himself into the game as a I'm going to get to that, that, that see, that's my cue. That is my <laughs> lasting memory of Matt Beatty. <laughs> 
he pinch hit himself into the game allegedly when Julio Arias had 82 pitches and was cruising. The Dodgers bullpen was already tired and beat up. Uh, and then he got on and tried to steal a base and Matt Beatty is not a speedster and it did not work out well. So Matt Beatty, thank you for several years of, of service. Uh, on this podcast, I said the implement implementation of the DH in the national league was going to create jobs. Well, it actually took one in the process because once the NL instituted the DH, Matt Beatty's worth to the Dodgers decreased dramatically. Yep. Uh, there is going to be way less pinch hitting in the National that, League this that, year. That was always my point of why anti-DH, but sorry, i let you go. Continue. Yeah, and uh, that, that, that sealed Matt Beatty's fate as a Dodger. Uh, compare that with signing Freddie Freeman. Uh, they just didn't need another left-handed bat on the bench who can only pretty much play first base. Yeah, he can play left field, but it's not pretty. He's not fast, uh, and he's mostly a pinch hitter. So that does that pretty much sealed his fate with the Dodgers. He is going to get at least one more chance in the major leagues, no doubt. I mean, he is a professional hitter. He'll 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 sign somewhere. Uh, but I think he'll get traded. To be honest, to a bad team. I think they tried. I feel like they absolutely have tried to trade him in the past five to seven days and just couldn't find a taker. Uh, I think he's just going to end up clearing clearing waivers or something. Also, I think it's very encouraging um, how Edwin Rios has looked so far this spring. It looks like his shoulder's not really bothering yeah. him anymore. Um, he's already five for eight this spring. He had a home run today uh, on Thursday. Uh, he has four RBIs so far this spring. So it's really encouraging to see him be him performing well because that is just, you know, that makes the loss of Baby not as impactful as it may could have been. And if Absolutely. you're a conspiracy theorist, uh, remember Matt Beatty got sent down uh, last year. I believe about he finished, a month. Yeah, I believe he finished one game shy of reaching a full service year, uh, service time. So I'm sure, you know, the Jessica Beatty conspiracy theorists will have their a field day with that one. Yep. You guys hit the other points I wanted to talk about with Beatty. And, it, you know, it always felt like it was going to come down to Edwin Rios and Beatty. And Jake just mentioned how Rios is having a resurgence in spring. We could talk more about him in a little bit because I, I had some thoughts on him as well. But yeah, I just, you know, you look at what Beatty did in 2020 when the Universal DH was at that point, the first time in the NL, hit 220. And then, yeah, the AAA and service time and the inserting himself into the game. So, yep. Thank you, Matt Beatty. You'll probably go to the Oakland A's now where they need a first baseman. And you know, I'll root for you because you probably have an opportunity to play every day. And I think consistency is something Beatty has actually wanted. No doubt. Moving on, Dodgers made a signing in the pitching department. Made a couple, actually, but we'll start with uh, the signing of Tyler Anderson, the 32-year-old left-handed starter. $8 million deal, went 7-11 and 11 last season with a 4 53 ERA. Sorry, Anderson, but this is a AMPM sponsored Dodgers team. So 7-Eleven ain't going to fly. But uh, on that note, I, I, ha I have to be honest. I haven't hated an Andrew Friedman signing since the Scott Casimir one back in 2016. There's been some trades I don't like, but in terms of the actual signings, this is the, this is the first one since then. And I'll tell you why. Anderson is not a good road pitcher, believe it or not. For a guy that's spent his career at Coors Field for four seasons on the road over the entire tenure of his career. He has a 13 and 19 record, a 541 ERA on the road, 291 innings pitched. And I know that he did pitch today on March 24th 
had seven strikeouts, but you know who it was against? It's against the Rockies, so I don't really care. Uh, it's going to be a roller coaster of emotions with Anderson, and he probably will be our fifth or sixth starter. Uh, but this is the type of guy where he'll go out there, kind of like Chris Capuano back in the day, maybe have a quality start, and then the next outing, he's going to give up five or six runs. And I'm fully expecting meltdowns on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram with Tyler Anderson. It's funny you mentioned Chris Capuano because I was going to make that comparison. Even their motion is a little similar, just kind of a weird lefty hitch motion. Um, I don't really care about this move one way or the other. I, like I said from the outset, I think the Dodgers need to get as much pitching as possible. They're just keep signing guys. doesn't matter. They're going to need the depth at some point because this starting rotation is very vulnerable, even if they do have Trevor Bauer and that's still up in the air as we've all discussed, but yeah, this guy, Tyler Anderson, I, I felt like last year he had uh, some pretty good stretches um, good enough for him to get dealt at the deadline um, and get, I think he got dealt from the pirates to the Mariners, if I'm correct. Um, and so I feel like, I feel like there is, there is something within him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, who performs better, Tyler Anderson or Andrew Haney. Um, you know, it's just, that's kind of like the, the same kind of, you know, level for me. I love this signing. I, absolutely love this signing has he been lights out his entire career no is he a serviceable major league starting pitcher absolutely and that's what we lacked last year we had to throw i mean if if he can be randy wolf after bullpen game which are jake's least favorite thing on this planet so i'd expect him to love this signing too Uh, that's what i said you pair you get you get anderson you got haney you got price you got gonsolin you got jackson you got mitch white if that if that group can't produce a couple quality starts every turn through the rotation, then what else can you do? Nothing. So they put they Andrew Friedman and Gomes have put this Dodgers roster in a position to succeed. You're going to need Bueller, Arias, Kershaw, and maybe Bauer uh, to carry the load. But that group I mentioned, if they can't be a serviceable four and five pitcher, then that's on them. This roster has everything it needs to succeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, jumping for joy at this signing, but I think, yeah, you need someone like this. You need everybody. I'm jumping up and down in my living room. Yes, I. We can see that, and and we don't know why. Um, Tyler Anderson <laughs> is, if he can, if he can be, if he can be like a Randy Wolf type of guy, then that's yeah. great. Yeah, he'll be a Tyler Anderson type of guy, which is a four sixty ERA over the course of his career. You want to take a bet on the fine. on his ERA this year? Set a number. Set a, set an over under number. Four fifty. I'll, I'll go the. I'll take the under. Okay, I'll go over. Twenty bucks. I still owe you ten for that Kershaw yes, Super Bowl bet too. I haven't All forgotten. Right. Do we have an innings limit? Because if he throws like three outings in the yeah, obviously. Pitch. Okay, it's got to be over hundred innings. Seventy innings. Seventy. Uh, yeah. All right. Fine. All right. Deal. Um, with that being said, you guys just mentioned the pitching. Roberts earlier addressed the media saying he expects to use a number of guys in piggyback situations and he named like all of them, Gonsolin and Mitch White, Jackson, the list goes on. You know, I'm kind of interested to see how stretched out Clayton Kershaw might be because the mm-hmm. season is vastly I'm approaching not. and he's only gone, I think, two innings max so far, as opposed to Walker Buehler, who went four and a third, I believe. And Walker Buehler, of course, was named the opening day starter. Don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I think it was Walker's time to get the nod. He is, in my opinion, the ace of the staff at this point in his Dodgers career. And I think he just deserved it. 
Yeah, my only thought is this. I think with how free agency went for Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers signed into a one-year deal. It's kind of, you know, it's, yeah, he, he said he wasn't contemplating retirement at all, but we're getting, we're getting towards the end of times here for Clayton Kershaw. And I think with the emergence of Bueller as the ace, um, you know, in every, in every sense of the word, I think it's, I think it's a great move and, and a great time to do it to establish Bueller as the ace of the Dodgers staff moving forward so that when you get to his eventual free agency, you can say, Hey, you are our guy, you know, no matter what you are going to be our opening day starter every single time out. Um, and here's a fat contract. We want you to stay. Um, I'm not saying if they didn't do that at this time that he wouldn't resign with the Dodgers, but I just, I can kind of see the trajectory here. And it, and I agree with Kevin, it was perfect timing for this. Passing of the guard in real time, changing of the guard, passing of the torch. Just like that scene in Shawshank Redemption when the lead gets out of the prison and he's in the rain, he lifts his hands up in the air. The that was my feeling when it was announced out of thin air that Luke Rayleigh had been traded from the Los Angeles <laughs> Dodgers to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for uh, a minor league pitcher, Tanner Dodson. Maybe he'll become a gem. Don't know. Race pitchers usually end up being pretty good. But my first question is, why on earth would the Rays want Luke Rayleigh? And second of all, thank God that they were able to just find a new home for Rayleigh because they gave him the lion's share of opportunity last season. And to say he failed was an understatement. Yeah, I, I'm, I still think he's close. I, I think the race to what Japan to being <laughs> to being something in the major leagues. Obviously, he didn't find it last year, and obviously, it was a brutal, brutal watch at the plate. After he hit that home run in San Diego, he did absolutely nothing. Uh, he had no no business being on the Dodgers roster this year. Uh, I'm rooting for him in Tampa Bay. I do think he's he could unlock something and become a serviceable player. Uh, but to say that I'm sad to see him go would be a lie. He's got pop. I mean, when he, when he makes contact, he can hit the ball very far. The issue was, is that he wasn't making contact at all. So if he can fix that, then I think that's a recipe for success. And that's all I have to say about Luke Rayleigh. Good luck, pal. Yep. He was Mike Trout in AAA. Crazy OPS, lots of home runs. I think he was in the twenties. And then every time he came back up to the Dodgers, he either strike out, make no contact or weak grounders to first base. Oh, he's the weak grounders though. defer. Yeah, he can, he can I, book it down that line. I, that's yeah, not, that's I'm, not I'm, gonna be enough for me. I'm over watching <laughs> the ground out to second and him hustle down the line. I'm over it. The Dodgers also welcomed back Danny Duffy, who made quite the appearance last season. You know, household name because he did a whole lot of nothing for the Dodgers. Didn't appear in a single inning, but they brought him back on a low ball deal. I I mean, I'm not against it because when he does come back, which the expectation is hopefully June or July, he'll be a reliever out of the bullpen. And that's just another lefty to stack. And if Ferguson's healthy, Bessia, Victor Gonzalez, and then Duffy, that's a lot of options. You know, what's crazy is that when they traded for him at the deadline, I felt like all the news was out there. That was, they were saying that he was going to be ready at some point during the season. Now he's going to be out till June of the next season. What the hell happened? he He went under surgery. But still, Look, yeah, it was deceiving because we expected him to be a Dodger 
uh, down the stretch last season, and then he just couldn't pitch. So I'm expecting absolutely nothing. So anything he gives us is going to be a plus. And if he's healthy, we know he's a good pitcher. So that's that's all you can really yeah, say. He's an all star. Yeah. Yeah. If he pitches for us, great. I'm not going to hold my breath. Kevin Pillar was signed to a minor league deal, uh, 280 career batting average against left-handed pitching. He's also a tremendous defender in the outfielder. We've seen him with the Giants and the Rockies, and he was on the Blue Jays for a while, and the Mets where he got his face smashed in. I think he has a legitimate opportunity to eventually crack this 40-man roster, kind of like Steven Souza did last season, except the difference is Pilar can actually hit a baseball and he has an arm. Another signing I loved. This is just proven major league bench talent. Uh, I loved what he had to say about it as well. He said he's here to see what kind of player he can become. He's already fully bought into the Dodgers system, the development team. Yes, he's, he's on the older side. That doesn't mean you can't still develop. Uh, phenomenal signing. Excellent. Yeah. I think that um, any player that can improve this bench is, is a godsend. And like what Pedro Mora was discussing when we talked to him, you know, that is what was the 2020 team. It was just depth from top to bottom, and it didn't matter if a guy got injured or whatever. There was always a guy that could replace that. And so last year, there just wasn't that. Everybody they, they brought up from AAA was a disaster. And so, like you, like you mentioned, David, proven major league talent off the bench, guys that not only have been proven major leaguers, but – Proven guys that can come off the bench because that's a huge difference, right? It's like, you know, necessarily if you take a guy that used to be an everyday player and stick him on the bench, it's a crapshoot whether he'll be good or not. He may be good. He may not be good. But guys like Pilar, Hanser Alberto, maybe even Jake Lamb, who knows? Those guys know how to come off the bench, and that's that's a talent in and of itself. All right. Speaking of some of those guys you just named, moving over to spring training now because we have about a week into the books. Want to get your thoughts on a player or two that have really stood out to you, and if you're gonna who you're if that's the guy you're gonna keep your eye out on the rest of spring training, and and if you have any bold predictions, feel free to share it. Go ahead, David. Please, I, I insist. Okay, so um, some players that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, Obviously, Freddie Freeman, um, but, you know, just so that we can update everybody, he's, you know, two for five in an RBI on Thursday. So he's, he's looking good going the other way. Um, but an interesting guy that's been kind of hot this spring training has been Eddie Alvarez, uh, the Olympian. Um, who knows if he'll factor in at some point. Maybe he'll agree to some sort of minor league deal and, you know, end up in the minors and so the Dodgers can bring him up at some point during the season. But this guy is hitting 417 so far this spring. He's five for 12, two home runs, another one today, two RBIs. Really liked what I what what we've been seeing from him. I talked about Edwin Rios already. Um, and then Tony Gonsolin, uh, his spring debut on Thursday, three perfect innings, no runs, no hits, no errors, no walks, four strikeouts. Um, I'm really, really encouraged to see that because um, I think if healthy, if given a consistent rotation spot, he is going to be a factor this season. I like every, everything you said. I'm keeping an eye on some of these pitchers, specifically the left-handed relievers. Victor Gonzalez looks physically great. Yep. Uh, I mean, he is slimmed down. He looks good. Uh, Garrett Clevenger has pitched very well in a small sample size. 
And then I'm also keeping an eye on Justin Brühl and uh, Caleb Ferguson, who's back from his second Tommy John surgery. So I'm interested to see how those four lefties factor into the, I guess, overall big picture. Obviously, they, they've all contributed. Uh, obviously, Gonzalez and Ferguson the most. But I think they all might have a role, especially with the 28-man rosters, uh, the no penalizing options for the first month of the year. I think it's going to be kind of a carousel and basically a tryout to see who's going to join Vesia uh, in the bullpen in terms of left-handers. I also wrote down those lefties, so I'm glad you mentioned them. Um, Edwin Rios, this guy is just looking like the guy that we all kind of expected him to become. He's so locked in in the plate right now. He looks healthy. He kind of has an Adrian Gonzalez swing to his approach, in my opinion. Blasted that home run on Thursday, like you mentioned. And then another pitcher who I hope we get to see a little more out of. Uh, David mentioned him a week ago. But Carson Fulmer, through two scoreless innings, he looked really sharp. And right now I'm kind of almost circling him into a spot on the opening day bullpen, kind of like Jimmy Nelson walked on last season. Uh, Evan Phillips, I know that a lot of people like him. He didn't... He's kind of a hit or miss type of player. I think Carson Fulmer, the ceiling is higher with him. Not to mention he was a teammate of Walker Bueller, top 10 draft pick. If he can become this elite reliever out of the bullpen, I think he could be essentially a replacement for Kenley Jansen, but we should talk about Jansen in a second because I forgot about that. So yeah. yeah, those are the guys I'm looking to keep my eye out on. So I'm just, I'm really excited about this Dodgers bullpen. So on that note, Kenley Jansen did find a new team. He's signing with the Atlanta Braves on a one-year, $16 million contract. They're promising him the closer role. I kind of felt Jansen was going to be a goner heading into the offseason. Uh, don't affect the Dodgers too much. I think our bullpen is just extremely deep. But it, it did come out in the LA Times, I believe, that Kenley Jansen did want to come back to the Dodgers. But the Dodgers offered him a two-year contract, but they are so high in payroll, 275 million, I want to say, that they told him they, that they're going to have to clear some salary first in order to re-sign him. And so Jansen just decided to take what was on the table already from the Atlanta Braves. And he grew up a Braves fan, actually, so I'm sure it's an easy adjustment for him. But, you know, thank you to Kenley, arguably the greatest Dodgers closer in the history of the franchise. Uh, how many seasons? 12 seasons with the Dodgers? I, I wish I knew the number off the top of the my organization, head. organization, yeah, 12 or 13. Yeah. Just an absolute warrior. Dude was willing to die on the field back in 2018 when he was having some heart issues. And he said he was willing to go out there and cores, even though the doctors advised him not to. Thankfully, Kenley didn't end up having to do that. But it was such a crazy year that in 2018, I'm sure Jansen would have done it if he needed to. So, yeah, what a beast. He is a beast. And, you know, for, for a closer, the, the mentality is so much different than any other player on the team, any other role on the team. It is a different beast entirely. Um, some could consider it maybe even the toughest position on the team um, in terms of the pressure that is applied to you each time out. And so for Kenley to have that short memory, to be able to come back from some disastrous outings and some disastrous stretches overall was like Kevin mentioned, he was the best closer the Dodgers have ever had. And, you know, this guy was not only praised, but he was booed. I mean, you think about all the times that 
Kershaw blew it in the postseason. Not once did Kershaw ever get booed for anything. And it sort of begs the question as to why you would boo Kenley Jansen, um, you know, but that just speaks to the closer role. I mean, it is a, a an unbelievable type of role to have where, you know, the game is in your hands every time you go out there. And if you, if you mess up, you could lose the game for your team. I mean, think about that. So um, just an incredible competitor, uh, an incredible Dodger. Um, what a story. You know, we've talked about it a million times from, from a minor league catcher to the greatest closer the Dodgers have ever had. Um, Going to miss Kenley Jansen. I think the Dodgers looked at this and said, you know what? There are too many uh, younger, maybe even more important free agents that we need to keep. And they looked at the financials and said, you know, I think I think we can handle the bullpen without Kenley Jansen this year. Yeah, we, we all knew this was going to happen. Uh, it was it felt like only a matter of time. Uh, I can't say anything but good things about Kenley Jansen. Yes, it's only a one year deal in Atlanta. So we don't truly know if his time as the Dodgers is fully complete. He could always come back. Uh, but I'm happy for him. Uh, Dodgers just had too many too many other guys to 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 pay and, and too many other issues to address. We said it all, all, all off season. The bullpen is the strongest part of this team uh, pre Freddie Freeman acquisition. So like you guys said, I mean, he just wasn't at least pre, at least in the off season, he wasn't a necessary piece of this team. As crazy as that sounds, as good as he was last year, there was bigger, bigger holes to fill. Cool. I have an idiot tweet of the week. If I like it, I want to leave this. All right, so this is in response to our friend Blake Harris, who announced the Kevin Pillar minor league signing. Comes from at Valdez three one zero. A trade. Not a listener. Be awkward. Well, maybe he'll be honored. (laughs) A trade must be in the works because unless Pillar's body can't handle it anymore, he's a better player than CT three. Shrug emoji. Oh, it's this idiot. Hashtag Dodgers. I doubt Pilar is physically able to play in the majors. Good pickup, though, if he is, though. So, first of all, what kind of drugs do you have to be on to think that Kevin Pilar, no offense to him because he is a fine player, though, but to think he's better than Chris Taylor. First of all, in 2021, Kevin Pilar slashed to 231, 277 on base, 425 slugging versus Chris Taylor, who was an all-star, Ended up hitting 254, 344, 438 slugging. But in the first half, Chris Taylor, before the injury, because that did come out as well, bone chips in his elbow, I believe. He had like a 380 on base in the first half. And then was a complete animal, our best hitter in the postseason. But I don't even know what the tweet means because what do you mean there's a trade in the works? Like they're going to trade Chris Taylor? Is that what's he that is that what he's implying? I think so. You got to lay the background here. This this guy has had a long history of hating Chris Taylor for absolutely no reason. Uh, <laughs> you can you can search his you can search his shit and it it is nonsensical his hatred for Chris Taylor. First of all, how does anyone hate Chris Taylor? He is the most uncontroversial, boring human being in the history of the world. Second of all, he's done nothing but produce for this Dodgers team his entire Dodgers career. Third of all, this guy needs to just shut up. I, I don't know what Chris Taylor did to this specific individual, but it this has gone on long enough. He needs to he needs to either get rid of this resentment or or start shutting the hell up. 
know where you guys would rank that. I know it's not number one. I think Ben Verlander still takes the cake, but that might be two or three. It's not even an idiot tweet. It's just a nonsensical, irrational hatred of a harmless baseball player. I don't know why that guy hates him, but he hates him. He legitimately has hate for Chris Taylor. Sounds like the definition of idiot to me. Yeah, it's fair. (laughs) But, I mean, he's not touching the Ben Verlander one. No, no, I don't think anybody will. No, it's a long season, Jake. Okay. What if Ben Verlander will top it? Well, I think he may be the only one. Yeah, well, we'll see. This could be be an unbreakable record like Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. (laughs) Hey, that was almost broken. I know. Luis Castillo got close there for a minute. Um, Kevin, I don't know where you want to go next, but can I bring up something real quick? Absolutely. Okay. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. And I don't know why this this riled me up as much as it did, but here we go. Um, so I like it already. Uh, Dave Roberts said on the Dan Patrick show that he's guaranteeing the Dodgers will win the World Series in 2022. And while that's all good and fine. You know, obviously Dave thinks very highly of this team and the Dodgers have world series aspirations every single season um, being the class of the, of the national league and kind of being the Yankees of the West, so to speak. So the targets already on the Dodgers back, but the reason this riled me up is uh, like, why do you got to say that? Like, you know, obviously they're going to, they're going to try to win the world series and, it would, it's going to be a baller quote if the Dodgers do end up winning the World Series in 2022. But if they don't, then it's, he's going to look like a, the biggest idiot ever because why would you, why would you guarantee that? Like, did, he, you know, did he specifically say, I guarantee? He said he just... guarantee. He said it. The word guarantee. Okay. okay. All right. He said uh, the Dodgers are going to win the World Series in 2022. That's I what he said. It. He said, I guarantee it. Yes, men's warehouse. He guarantees it. Okay, okay. All right. I don't, I particularly don't hate this. I mean, what do you want him to say? Do you want him to be like, yeah, we're going to compete? That's boring. That's, that's boring. I don't think he's putting any pressure on anybody. I don't think the Dodgers players are going to be like, oh, Dave Roberts, our manager said we, we're going to guarantee you. We, now we have a lot of pressure. No, they already got pressure. They're, everyone's always gunning for the Dodgers. The only thing that this is going to do is. When the Padres are eliminated from the playoffs, when they didn't even make the playoffs, these Padres fans are going to go back to that tweet. They're going to go back to this clip if the Dodgers don't win the World Series and act like it's the biggest dunk of all time and try to patrol everybody. That's all it is. Well, yeah, in my opinion, I'm not worried about the Dodgers competing for the World Series. The only thing that's going to hold them back and prevent them from winning is Dave Roberts, just like in 2019. You could argue in 2018, maybe 2021 to an extent. So Dave Roberts better put his money where his mouth is because he has all the talent in the world. This might be the best roster they've ever given to him. So I don't know. It just, it sounds a little bit like that sports illustrated cover of Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. This is going to be fun. Like, I don't know. It just, it, it kind that's why I had a huge I, eye roll with it. I'm like just like the Eagles had the dream team. Maybe now it was a decade ago and Vince Young was on record saying, guaranteeing they win the Super Bowl and then they went four and 12 or something. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The, the Dodgers are going to be good no matter what, but I mean, you know, predicting they're going to 
win the World Series. I, I get it. I, you know, some some fans like like David, for instance, would appreciate the confidence in Dave Roberts, but I, I just look at it like, you know, why you got to say that? Yeah, I mean, he could have just not said it, but. <laughs> got to say I, it after an emotional win, like after the NLCS when he was like, this is our year. This is yeah. our year. I'm fine with that. No, That's no, I a- hated that. I no, that absolutely was, that fucking hated that. Well, why? Okay, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Why do you? Why do you? Why did you hate that and not hate this? Because this is preseason. This is like no That's pressure. Words. We're in spring training. We're just talking. We're going on radio shows. The other one, when we had just won the NLCS after coming back from three to one, and we only have four games to go. Given we've lost two prior World Series in the last three years, that is when you shut up, Dave. I mean, it worked out, and now it looks like he's got balls of steel when he said it, but that is when you're four games away from a World Championship, your first World Championship since 1988, you shut up. <laughs> I, 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 I thought the Dodgers are riding the – I mean, look, they came, down, they came down from 3-1. I think Dave looked at this and said, all right, that was the toughest thing we're going to have to do in this postseason, and and yeah. we've got this. I completely agree with your assessment, but that doesn't mean you should say that. Yeah, four games. You need four more wins. That's when you. That's when you keep your mouth shut. Yeah, well, it was the Rays. Let's be honest. They we gave them a we gave them a game. It should have been a five game series. If Pedro Baez didn't shake off Will Smith and throw a hanging cutter to Brandon Lau, would have crushed no, them. Pedro Pedro Baez shouldn't have even been in that situation that, that was in the book too where dave roberts told pedro you know you can relax and then jock put us back in the head put us back ahead and then dave flips it and says pedro you're going back in <laughs> God. there was no need to bring him back out there and then roberts later admits i don't think it was to the reporters but he admits that he regretted that move big time yeah we all did yeah i bet he did <laughs> So we're running out of time oh, here. Oh, we called it in real time, I remember. We were like, what is he doing? Why is he sending him back out there? Yes, because when Dave Roberts makes a pitching mistake before it happens, it is always the most obvious what the hell is he doing move. Right, right. All right. Got a few minutes left. So with that being said, did you guys want to make any quick bold predictions or quick final thoughts? I'm going to save my want? bold predictions for probably next week or the week after, whichever is closest to the season yeah um yeah i mean i don't really have too many final thoughts I, I just hope you know spring training everybody gets out gets out of there healthy uh obviously I, we're not going to get any news on this bauer situation but that's still looming over this team and there's still plenty of question marks in the pitching rotation because of it uh so i'm just hoping that everybody's healthy out of spring training we get to start in colorado i believe uh, so we should be able to get the season started on, on, on our right foot. I know that uh, Mookie Betts is dealing with some illness. Some yeah, what the hell virus. is that? I don't know. But that's the one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing is, is how he looks um, to see if he has kind of recovered from some of the lingering injuries that were hampering him the last few seasons. Um, yeah. God, I would love to I would love to see Mookie Betts just, you know, have a re-breakout season where he just absolutely tears up the league. This could be the one. I have a good feeling about Mookie Betts, but yeah, I'll save the the Dodgers predictions for maybe next week. I will say my MVP of the National League, giving you guys a teaser, 
I'm picking Juan Soto. Probably not very bold, but I think it's... Yeah, it's the least bold take of all time. Yeah, it's like my White Sox take. I think he's hitting 45 home runs and having an on-base of over 400. So, there you go. I don't think Otani's winning MVP again. I agree. I don't think he is either. I think if he's healthy, he could. I don't know. I think it's going to depend on his health. Guess we'll we'll find out for sure. And uh, and Gonzaga just got eliminated. Yeah, my Wolverines are next, but that's okay. We had a we had a good season. (laughs) Had a good run. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Incline Dollars podcast today. Thank you again to Pedro Mora for joining us. Make sure to give us a five star rating. Subscribe to the Incline Dodgers wherever you get your podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at the Incline Pod or our individual handles, which is in the description below. And we're on YouTube too. So yeah, this is a a quick spring training, no doubt about it. And the season is almost here, but it's going to be a good one. And we got some hot takes and all that lined up next week, I'm sure. So you're gonna you're gonna want to hear those because we might yell at each other. <laughs> on that note, go Dodgers. And have a great rest of your week and weekend, guys. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.